Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Suicide among teens and young adults is a major cause of death for that demographic. Now research is showing an alarming trend, thoughts of suicide and actual suicide among kids much younger. Joining me to talk about it, Dr. Joan Luby is the Samuel and Mayes Ludwig Professor of Child Psychiatry and the Director of the Early Emotional Development Program at Washington University School of Medicine and St. Louis Children's Hospital. Dr. Deanna Barch is Professor and Chair with the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences and the Gregory B. Couch Professor of Psychiatry at Washington University. She is also the Dean of Faculty Development. Thanks so much for being with us. Nice to have you. This is a tough subject. I mentioned it the other day, as I indicated to you earlier, to some people saying we're going to be talking about this, and jaws were literally dropping because we're talking about kids as young as five years old having suicidal thoughts. Where is this coming from, Dr. Luby? Well, we really don't know, and I think that's what's so alarming about it, and that's really why there's an urgent need to try to investigate where it's coming from. Um, we have done many, many studies of depression in young children in the St. Louis community, and only in our most recent one did we find much higher rates of suicidal ideation than we'd ever previously seen before. And that's what prompted us to begin to ask more questions about this and try to investigate what was the source and whether these children who expressed suicidal ideation even understood what they were talking about or understood the finality of death. Just to be sure that everyone understands when we talk of ideation, we're talking about uh, youngsters thinking about suicide. Right. Just kind of mulling, mulling it over. Yeah. One of the things that we're learning, Dr. Barch, is uh, that Kids understand death. They understand the concept of death. And they are they understanding that now at an earlier age that might have once been the case, do you think? Well, I don't know It's whether it's the case that kids in general understand it at an earlier or later age. But what has been, I think, very surprising to us is that the kids who have suicidal ideation actually seem to understand the concepts of death better than the kids who don't. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that wasn't what people might have predicted. They might have thought, oh, kids don't really understand. Kids are saying things about suicide because they don't really get what death means. But these kids do understand and even better than kids who don't have those thoughts. You would think, though, that if they understood it, they would fear it rather than embrace it somehow. Well, I don't know that I would call it either. I wouldn't say that they're embracing it, mm. but I think that, you know, they are feeling sad and hopeless and, you know, um, perhaps not good about themselves. And like older people who think about suicide, they may see that as sort of an only option to end the pain that mm -hmm. they're feeling. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Luby, uh, the Centers for Disease Control has done a number of studies on this issue, and their conclusions and the results are really quite alarming. What have they been learning? Well, one of the things that's most shocking that they learned is that girls between the ages of 10 to 14 had tripled um, their rates of suicide over the past 14 years. Um, previously, suicidal ideation, first of all, was had much lower rates in American society, and secondly, it used to be something that was more salient in boys, and now we're seeing an equalization of this in girls to boys, and with rates tripling you know, over a little more than a decade, this really has to make us worry from a public health standpoint. And, and what age group are they finding this in? 10 to 14. 10 to 14. Mm -hmm. Well, there's the National Institutes of Health uh, study also indicating that nearly one-third of Americans between the ages of 10 and 12 screen 
positive for suicide, Dr. Barsh. Yes. I mean, it is a, a shocking rate, and it's gone up. Um, and we have even more recent data looking at, um, like, 9- and 10-year-olds showing, you know, similar rates that, that predict that. Um, and I think that has really been going up. I think there's a lot of speculation as to what might be driving some of that. I know a lot of people have had ideas about potential relationships to social media use, um, concerns that use of social media might somehow, um, either through like bullying or negative things that are mm -hmm. happening through social media or negative self-comparisons. Kids think, oh, I'm not as cool or as good or as wonderful as these somewhat manufactured people we see in social media, whether that may be having a role in contributing to some of this increase in depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation. Dr. Luby, how far along are you in looking at that? It would seem to me that social media would certainly be a contributing factor. Yes, I'm very, very suspicious about social media, and there is some empirical data to suggest that it plays a role, but I think this needs to be studied much more in a much more detailed fashion. So we um, are embarking on a second stage of our first study um, where Deanna and I are following a sample of depressed children and some healthy controls who underwent a psychotherapy treatment and expressed high rates of suicidal ideation. We're now going to be bringing those kids back in. We're going to be doing very detailed assessments of their exposure to social media, lots of psychosocial exposures, interpersonal stresses, and a whole host of other things to try to look at what the sources are. It's hard for me to uh, to really understand why a five-year-old or a seven-year-old would be depressed. What typically would be the cause, Dr. Barch, of a young person's depression? Well, I think there can be a number of factors. We do see that um, children who have high levels of depression, you know, they may be living in poverty um, and, you know, really deprived, mm -hmm. which we know can have a big impact. There may be family conflict that's going on that the child is often very sensitive to. They may be getting bullied, so we know that that mm. can also be a factor as well. Um, you know, even as young as preschool, bullying can start to occur. So it is often many of the same things that we see contributing to adults or adolescents having suicidal ideation or depression, but it's just in a form that sort of makes sense for a preschooler or a young child. You want to... Ex expound on that. Expand on that, Dr. Lou. Um, yeah. Well, I totally agree with what Deanna just said. I mean, the the only other thing I think I would say is that you know we know that depression is a disorder that's familial. It runs in families, and certain people seem to have some type of genetic vulnerability to it. And then when they encounter psychosocial stresses, it sort of tips them over and brings them into a depression. Um, I don't know if we know that depression is occurring now in younger children and it wasn't before, or whether we're just now have developed the methods to sort of, in a developmentally appropriate way, assess for it. I, th I think it's more likely it's the latter. What, what brought you both into, into this uh, study, a series of studies, actually, I guess is the best way to put it, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think we each came into it in, in different ways, and I'll let Deanna tell her story. Um, but certainly once um, I got together with Deanna, we really got to the bottom of a lot of things. I mean, I was interested in preschool psychopathology, you know, from, from back in my psychiatry training, and I've always just been interested in young children and the developmental processes. I find myself being, I really enjoy being with young children because they're very open 
and honest and also just more treatable. Mm -hmm. And that was really how I started studying young child depression. And then um, I ran into Deanna, um, who just added a huge dimension of neuroscience to those series of studies. And I'll kind of let her talk about that. Well, I would actually say mm -hmm. Joan really recruited me into studying <laughs> young kids. Um, I had been really working more with adults and a little bit with adolescents. And Joan, and I think like many people, I, I hadn't really understood that very, very young children could be having depression. Um, and <clears throat> so Joan really sort of opened my eyes to that and recruited me to being involved. And I think similar to what Joan just said, you know, if you think about children growing up, if they start early with having depression or anxiety and differences in development and they continue to experience that as they're going through teenagehood, it's much harder to go back as an adult and try to roll back those years of negative experiences. And if we can think instead about identifying children very young, intervening very early, and kind of tipping them back on a healthy developmental trajectory, that that's going to be so much easier than trying to peel back, you know, 10, 20, 30 years mm. of having lived with depression and anxiety and the impacts that itself may be having on brain development and brain function. The suicide rate amongst teens and amongst young adults is very high. It's one of the leading causes of death. Would you uh, assume that one of the reasons for that is that, that this whole process got started early in the uh, you know five to seven to ten year old range, and that it just got worse as time went on? I, I think that's what we're starting to learn. Right, yeah. is that these things are emerging much earlier than we previously thought. I think we didn't used to ask the questions that would let us know that these things were happening because we didn't assume that children could feel depression or could feel this kind of deep sadness or have these kinds of suicidal thoughts. So we never, to, in part, thought to ask, although it could also be that some of this is increasing just even if we had ar already been asking about it. What can be done in the, ha in the home, in the household, uh, to identify maybe potential problems like this? Is there something parents can look for, or siblings or friends? Well, I mean, I do think that, you know, we really need to spend, step back and spend a lot more time thinking about how we nurture our children emotionally and the idea that we as parents need to be sensitive to their emotional states. We need to be open to hearing what they're going through. We need to sit with them and help them um, sort of manage and experience and regulate emotions. So, I mean, I think there's a lot that parents can do, although that's not to say that, you know, this is, this is a side effect of bad parenting. But I think, um, you know, parents can play a huge preventative role in giving children certain buffers and ways to manage intense emotions. But parents really would have to take initiative on something like this. I mean, the kids today, even at very young uh, ages, are very much plugged into their devices and by themselves. They're not socializing the way they used to. All of this, I assume, is contributing. Could be, yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, I think historically there's been a myth that if you ask people about suicidal thoughts that it'll somehow create suicidal thoughts and people have been afraid to ask about it. And that is a myth, mm -hmm. right? And it's important for us to be comfortable talking to children at all ages about their feelings, being willing to ask if they're, you know, seeming sad or depressed, 
you know, checking in whether they have those thoughts. Dr. Luby, uh, they say that most adults, when they're contemplating suicide, will send out signals to that effect. I mean, they'll give away things. They'll do things that will are a hint. Would youngsters do the same thing somehow, somehow give it away that they're thinking about uh, about suicide? Well, I think there's a couple of types of manifestations that we've seen. In a couple of young, I mean, in, in a subgroup of young kids, they overtly express suicidal ideation when they're in distress. So it's not subtle at all. They'll say to their parents when they're frustrated about something or unhappy, I wish I was dead. You should take that seriously. Well, yes, you should take it seriously. Um, Absolutely. But then there's other kids, I think, who probably keep those ideations to themselves. Um, But we would probably see those kids becoming more socially withdrawn, not enjoying things Mm -hmm. they normally enjoy, not engaging. Yeah, have to take a break now. We'll do that and come back, and I'll invite the listening audience to get into this conversation. Uh, it's uh, it's depressing in many ways, but certainly with the research that's being done, they'll find ways, I'm sure, to uh, to deal with it in an effective way. Anyway, give us a call if you'd like to be a part of the conversation we're talking about. Uh, if you will, suicidal ideation amongst very, very young people. 382-8255 is our number. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or if you'd prefer a tweet, do so at STL on air. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Drs. Joan Luby and Deanna Barch. Well, uh, let me come back to you, Dr. Barch. Um, the young brain is something that uh, I'm sure that you're, you're working with and studying and have worked with. The young brain is still developing at five, seven, and, and nine years old and beyond, needless to say. How is this brain development working into what we're talking about? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, it could be in two ways. One, as, as Joan mentioned earlier, we know that depression is familial and may have genetic contributions. And it could be that some of those genetic contributions alter how the brain is developing in kids who are at risk for suicide, and that might be contributing, say, brain regions and networks that are helpful in terms of emotion regulation Mm -hmm. and helping kids be able to control their emotions. But it may also be the case that living with depression, living with, you know, suicidal ideation, living with family conflict might also be shaping brain development in ways that kind of become a vicious circle and contribute to kids having more depression. Um, either one of those possibilities, again, calls for ideally early intervention mm-hmm. that might help shift brain development back on a healthier trajectory. And what would that intervention include, Dr. Lomi? Well, I mean, we're just at the very beginning of trying to figure that out, but we have developed and tested an early intervention that's a parent-child interaction therapy that focuses on helping the parent to teach the child to develop more emotionally. And we've tested that in a randomized controlled trial. It appears to be very effective. And um, now the question is just sort of getting it out into the community more broadly, developing other interventions for those children who that doesn't work for or who that isn't sufficient for, and to really begin to focus on this, identify it and treat it and not ignore it. How are you conducting this research? Are you interviewing youngsters? Is that uh, what it involves? Um, it involves interviewing caregivers of youngsters, and it also involves um, 
observational measures where we look at young kids and their parents interacting. We look at young kids performing certain types of tasks. But we also have interviewed young kids about their understanding of death, um, not in a direct sort of face-to-face verbal exchange, but through the use of more play and cartoons and narratives. Um, And that's how we best get information out of young kids. How easy is it to work with youngsters in terms of doing this kind of research? Well, I think um, looking at brain uh, function and structure with young kids can be challenging. Um, We use a couple different methods, some of which are easier than others. We use MRI scans. Hmm. We also use a technique called uh, ERPs, which is measuring electrical activity on the scalp. That's actually easier to do with younger kids. We try to make the things that we have them do fun and engaging and appropriate for kids. Um, You know, you can make some of the ways of measuring emotion responses and self-control kind of fun and engaging for kids Mm -hmm. that makes them much more willing to participate. Where do you find the kids? In the community, I mean, we do a lot of recruitment from, like, pediatrician's office, um, schools, uh, a lot of outreach. We have some really wonderful staff that are really good at at going out into the community and alerting parents and caretakers and school counselors that there are these resources available and research for kids to participate in. So people would identify youngsters who... Who may fall into this category? Right. Just, okay. Right. They where they might have some concerns that the child okay. is having depression. Okay. Let's let's go to the phones. We have a number of callers, not unexpectedly, and we'll begin with Liz, who is calling from St. Louis. Uh, Liz, thanks for being with us. Go ahead. Liz, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, we can. Go ahead. Yes, I received a call recently that um, young kids that are on their electronic devices as young as four years old have been viewing YouTube videos to tell them how to actually kill themselves and have put it into a cartoon format and was wondering if your guests have heard anything about that, and if so, if they could elaborate. Have either of you heard of that? I haven't heard of that, but I can't. I have to admit it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, the things that kids are exposed to with social, this is, this is the problem, is, we, is the, it's pretty much limitless, and not only in its content, but also in terms of the time. Um, and I, I think it's those very things, in addition to just exposure to violence, um, that has just become out of control and rampant. Well, the technology of today can be a blessing and a curse at the same time, can yep. it? Any thoughts on that, Dr. Bart? No, I, I agree. <clears throat> I, I haven't seen it myself, but my teenage kids have certainly told me about things that the teenagers are accessing. And it's not surprising me. Kids are really smart. Young kids are really smart. And they they will go and find things that we have no idea that they have the ability to find. Yeah, most most of us who are a little bit older have difficulty finding almost anything. <laughs> Let's take another call. Kathy will join us from St. Louis. Go ahead, Kathy. You're on the air. Hi, uh, this is Kathy from St. Louis. My son uh, was 10 when he started to show signs of depression, but it was I, I didn't really realize it until later. Things like, you know, his pencil would break and he would burst into tears and I would be, you know, wondering why he's reacting this way. And then I talked to a friend and they said that it could be, you know, he had just moved here, he was depressed about that. So I just learned to kind of watch other ways, like ways he was reacting to things, because kids don't really know uh, when they're really young, you know, how to verbalize it. Thanks, Kathy. 
Go ahead. Well, I, I think this relates to what Joan was just saying about working with kids to help them develop their emotion abilities because a lot of kids don't have words to express what they're feeling. Um, and if we can kind of help give them some language and help them understand that it's okay to share either with their parents or other caregivers or, or people in their lives that might be they might be able to be comfortable sharing with. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think is important to add is, you know, I think when it comes to emotions, um, there's a real fear of sort of viewing this as something that we can identify and change and need to to work on developing. If you had a 10-year-old who was having trouble with his speech, you wouldn't think, well, I'll just, I'll just um, you know, watch this and, until it goes away. There's the, the they'll grow out of it myth with, with mental problems. And th- th- it's really a myth. I mean, we have to pay attention to that just like we have to pay attention to any developmental problem and intervene rapidly. Right. Let's, uh, let's take another call. We'll have Dennis and Overland join us. Uh, Dennis, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Yeah, this well, this is just mind-boggling. But uh, uh, I, my experience with uh, suicide is uh, when when it does happen, it seems to be uh, all of a sudden it can become there'll be loads of copycats, at least at the older level, and and that is uh, you know very very problematic. I, uh, with younger children, uh, I was sitting here thinking how what what could you do, and I was thinking maybe you. You help children accomplish small goals and, and build coping skills for when they, you know, so when they fail, they, they don't think it's the end of the world because so much of uh, when you're young, you think everything is so, so serious. And if you can help them in that way. But the, the, the biggest monster in the room really is, uh, and it's we can't put it back in the bottle, is, uh, is the Internet and how quickly uh, they can be exposed to things. And, uh, you know, I... Uh, I appreciate the fact that the work's being done, but uh, it's very uh, <laughs> daunting. <laughs> it is but indeed. That, that little idea there, I don't know if that helps or what. So. Thanks, Dennis, for the call. The thoughts to his, his comment? Well, he raises one um, interesting observation, and that is there is something called suicide contagion. Mm-hmm. And we've certainly seen that in adolescence when, you know, one adolescent is suicides. It's a well-known, it's a well-established phenomenon that that will increase rates of suicide in that sort of micro-community. The problem is we don't really know about whether that's operational with younger kids. We also don't know what the role of social media or the Internet could play in that. And I think that's another very serious issue. Yeah, but I also wanted to pick up on something else he said, which I thought was quite interesting, which is, you know, we send our kids to school and we teach them building blocks of reading and other sorts of things, but we don't teach them building blocks about emotion recognition, emotion regulation, emotion control, which are frankly every bit as important in in healthy development. And so thinking about more, you know, public health interventions around regular you know, training of children and educating them on how to manage their emotions could have a big impact. Yeah. Do we have any sense of uh, numbers with regard to kids under the age of 11, for instance, who actually do take their lives? Is there a number out there? I mean, if it's on the increase, somebody must be keeping tabs. We are. Uh, we have some data from a new study, a national study called the Adolescent Brain and Cognitive Development Study um, that I was just reviewing this morning. And we don't have very many kids there thankfully, that have committed suicide, but we have 2% of the kids, even at age nine, who said that they have attempted to kill themselves. 
Um, it's it's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Jaw-dropping, as I said a little while ago. Here's an interesting question from Victoria, who emails us. As more and more of our children are being placed in daycare at earlier ages, uh, now frequently in inf- infancy, she uh, adds, is there a possibility that this growth in depression is related to secure or insecure attachments to a parent or primary caregiver? That's an interesting look at it. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question, and it's been well studied. So Mm -hmm. people have really looked at the influence of daycare on child development and um, the concern that sort of daycare is is globally bad for children, I think, the de- is is clearly not true. I mean, it, it, the problem is it's it's a more complicated equation than that, and it depends very much on the quality of the daycare and the <clears> ratio <throat> of the caregivers to child. And that's interesting. That's a, a question that's now being discussed in the in the news at the moment. But clearly, high quality daycare. Um, can be a very positive experience for children. So I don't think daycare blanketly can be thought of as an etiology here. High-quality daycare can be a beneficial if you can afford it. If you can they, afford it. They did an entire hour on that earlier this yes. morning here, yes. and uh, it's getting pretty darned expensive. Yeah. Okay, I thought we had another call here, but, uh, but we don't. Let's talk for a moment in the time we have remaining about uh, the older kids um, and the fact that, that that's a leading cause of death. Um, what what do we know about that? Is is it basically the same kinds of things that we're talking about with the youngsters? De- depression, social media, bullying, and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think you see a lot of the same things. You know, they're depressed, they're anxious. Um, you know, high school brings with it added social challenges, challenges about thinking about having to decide about careers and work and where you're going. Um, you also have more autonomy, you know, to go away from your parents and to do things. And, you know, we see it's the second leading cause of death in high school. We see astounding rates of kids who thought about having a plan. I mean, 17% of kids have had a serious plan about wanting to kill themselves at some point in time. Um, and we need to do much more in terms of intervention. We only have a couple of minutes left. There's a caller who wants to ask about psychologists, and there's a waiting list for psychologists, apparently, he wants to ask. That's a problem. You've got to wait through one of these episodes. Yeah. You see that as a problem, Dr. Rubin? Absolutely. We definitely do not have enough mental health clinicians available, particularly for children. That's a huge problem. Yes. Right. Now let's try to get a little more positive about this. Um, What's the good news? Is there any good news here that we've uh, learned so far through your research and other research that would lead us to believe that we can find a way through all of this? Well, I think one piece of good news is like the, for example, the therapy that Joan has developed, you know, has been shown to be quite effective for depression in young children. So that means, yes, we do have some treatment approaches that are effective. We need to find a way to make them more available to a wider range of people. And Joan has really been working about kind of community engaged treatment to try to bring it out to schools. But I I do think we need more of a public investment in early intervention. In 30 seconds, would you add to that, Dr. Luby? Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the good news is is now we know about this. So now we really need to look at it, figure out the sources, and do something about it. Well, I think a lot of people listening to this program today are going to be uh, stunned by what they've learned about what's going on. Certainly parents are going to have to be a lot more vigilant in watching their children and what they're doing, who they're doing it with, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Dr. Joan Luby. Great to see you again. Thanks for being with us at Washington University School of Medicine and Deanna Barch of Washington University. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.